Syria Ah fans everywhere. From our nation's capital, this is Cool of America. Welcome back, Curve Americans and Podcast Paisani. I'm your host for a special pod interview, Tad Burns. As always, feel free to uh, join us on social media. We're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all Curve America. You can find the episodes on AS Roma 360, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Today we got a good one for you guys. The beautiful accent is back, Mr. Doug Dean. No shade to Marco Palmieri or any other wonderful accents we've had on, but I don't really think you get much better than a classically trained thespian uh, as far as accents in the world. So, Doug, you can find him um, in the States on Roma Replay. So when you turn on your TVs to check out the Roma games um, after the game has been played, it's his voice pouring through, giving you the great play-by-play and color action. So, Doug, welcome back. Thank you, Tad. It's nice to be back. Yeah, old friend of the pod. Uh, last year we had you, actually you were our first interview guest, um, and last year we had you on for the uh, season preview. This uh, year we're having you on because yesterday the transfer market closed in Italy, and uh, we had a lot of uh, last-minute deals, but basically all of the entire summer uh, this year in Italy has been pretty crazy. Um, so really appreciate you coming on and, and happy to hear your thoughts. Um, how are things going over there on the boot? Uh, they're going very well. We've actually um, we've had a very long, hot summer, which has been broken finally today, at least in Rome, by uh, a fairly spectacular storm which has struck, although the sun has now come back out. But um, the Roma fans, it's been a little bit of a mixed summer. Lazio fans as well. Both clubs have lost one or two key players. Both clubs have uh, made some big purchases, so it'll be interesting to see how they stack up over the next uh, over the next uh, few months or so, particularly. So I'm gonna only have to fine you half amount for using the L word. Please remember that this is a uh, this is a family show, and uh, we we don't we don't we don't like to curse. Um, did you uh, were you one of those people that uh, went out to Champino to greet Schick, uh, or Fiumicino to greet Schick as he uh, as he got mobbed like a beetle coming into the city? I, I wasn't one of those people, but I have to say I was I was very impressed with the fact that Roma got him because the talk most of the summer was that he was going to Juventus. So it's a, a little bit of a coup for Roma to have attracted him ahead of Juventus. My guess would be that he's been promised first team football, which he probably wasn't going to be guaranteed at Juve. Whereas I think maybe, of course, technically they shouldn't be promising any player first team football. But I, I suspect he may well have been told, look, join us and you'll be in the team. Well, then let's jump right in. Let's stick with Roma, considering that's a team both near and dear to both our hearts. Um, and so Schick, uh, so we get him and, we, you know, it seems like it's a it's, it's kind of one of those Monchi deals that uh, uh, it's it, it's a lot of money if. But that's only if he seems to work out to be a superstar. If he turns out to be a bust or hurt or something like that, there there might be some offloaded things here. How do you, how do you feel about the, the amount of money and the and, and how it's structured uh, for Schick? Well, I mean, you can always make a claim that footballers 
are never worth the amount of money. It's ridiculous money. But of course, the market forces dictate that uh, a player is worth what a club is prepared to pay for him. And Roma were prepared to invest that sum of money. He, of course, he could get horribly injured in the next few months and his career is over. But I think if his um, if he stays clear of injury, he has as much chance of as any young player that I see in Italian football, at least, of becoming a really, really top class player. Um, he's much quicker than most men of his size. He's got much better feet than most guys of his height. And he knows where the goal is. He's got a cool head in front of goal. He's got a little bit of invention about him. And from all accounts, he has a very good attitude. You sometimes get these talented 19, 20, 21 year olds, and it's already gone to their head. And they never really improve. They remain good, but they never really take the next step on and become world class. Whereas I think Roma have invested heavily in a player who at least has the attitude to take that next step and become a a really a, a very very fine player. So let's change to him and his you know how he's going to fit in with the team. You know EDF has come in, uh, or as we like to call him, Isubio D Costello, because in those black suits and horn rim glasses he looks exactly like Elvis Costello or uh, Fratello di Elvis Costello. Anyways. <laughs> um, so EDF has the 4-3-3, which is a change of formation from Spalletti last year. And, you know, what I've seen on the pitch um, is there's still little growing pains there. And uh, what we were really after, you know, early on in the season with Mares was a right winger. Um, we have DeFrel playing there now. He seems to be out of position. Um, and basically we bought as a spell to Ed and Dzeko. So do you think Schick is that answer at the right wing? Do you think he can play? Do you think he's, he's going to fit in? Because I think what Roma really needs are goals. Yeah, um, my guess would be that Schick would take Defrel's place on the right-hand side of the uh, the three-man attack. I, I don't really see him um, replacing Dzeko. Of course, long-term, he might be a very good substitute for Edin Dzeko. Roma is certainly not going to drop a man that scored 29 goals last season and already has got up and running this season with a very good goal against Inter. So my guess would be that Schick would play on the right-hand side of that three-man attack, which leaves Perotti and El Sharawi battling for the place on the other side. Perotti seems to be getting the nod at the moment, um, but I think El Sharawi will probably feel, as the season wears on, that he might get a few more chances. We'll have to wait and see. Um, the issue for Roma, of course, is that the, the right-back role has been a problem in the first two matches. Bruno Perez has never really convinced in that position. Alessandro Florenzi isn't yet fit enough to play 90 minutes. And Juan Jesus was nothing short of disastrous in the role against Inter. So I don't think we'll see Juan Jesus at right-back again. A left-footed um, centre-back think... playing, playing right-back? Uh, that, that was disastrous? Who could have thought that? Well, I mean, it, it really just wasn't very sensible. Bruno Perish was injured. I understand that. And um, Di Francesco felt that Florenzi didn't have 90 minutes in his legs, which is absolutely fine decision as well. But at that point, if you're going to have to have an emergency right back, at least use somebody that, that has a right foot. Mm -hmm. um, 
it, it was asking for trouble. And in actual fact, once Spalletti worked out that Juan Jesus was all over the place, he just gave the ball. He just told his team to give the ball to Perisic and Perisic to run at him. And Inter's second and third goals both came from that route. Yeah. It, it, so, what do you think? Uh, what do you think Roma needs to do organizationally in that defense? Um, do you think that they need to stick with the back four and the and the the four three three that EDF has you know been running for you know the entire time as a first team coach, or do you think that they with because of you know the injury situation? It's not that we don't have right backs; it's just that we don't have any that that are healthy enough to play on the field. Do you think that hmm. they might have to possibly switch to a back three? No, I don't think so. Um, I think you've 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 used the words yourself. You know, he's played that system four three three since he was a coach. I don't think following one poor result, a result in fairness which Roma probably didn't deserve. They played better than Inter, um, so it's not a result that they necessarily deserved. I don't think he's suddenly going to switch his entire um, formation of playing. I th- I think they'll stick with four three three. I think the hope is from within the club, that Florenzi, now there's an international break and he wasn't called into the Italy squad. Florenzi has an extra couple of weeks to get up to full fitness and we may well see him um, at some point against Sampdoria in the next match, even if he doesn't start. I think the long-term hope for Di Francesco is that Florenzi will play that role. Well, uh, the transfer window is over for Roma, and it looks like this season, like a lot of seasons, but this one in particular with Monchi, we, we, he was brought in as the transfer guru, and uh, there was a lot of small ball being played. He sold big names for a lot of money, picked up some pieces here and there, uh, and then, of course, with a big Schick signing. Um, overall, do you think that uh, Roma fans can be satisfied with this first go by Monchi, or do they have, do they have is it too soon to tell? <laughs> I think I think they can be satisfied overall. He he lost Antonio Rudiger, but he got a very generous sum of money for him from Chelsea. Rudiger played well last season, there's no question, but I don't think he's irreplaceable. And he brought in both Karsdorp, who's a very talented young defender. We may see him this season. Moreno, who's an experienced Mexico international, who's a very tidy player. I think Schick will be an excellent signing. Defrel hasn't started the season well, but had a very good season for Sassuolo last time round and perhaps just needs to find his confidence. He's generally played for smaller teams, Defrel, and it does make a difference for a player suddenly being catapulted into a big club where there's a lot more expectation. So um, he managed to hold on to Nangolan, which was obviously one of the big transfer things that he was going to go to Inter. He was going to go to one of the big Spanish clubs and he stayed at Roma, which is which is great news for Roma. And um, I think Roma have reason to be optimistic overall that they uh, they could have a, a solid season. Are we going to see much of Pellegrini this season, you think? I think Pellegrini this season may well play in a few of the, the Coppa Italia matches and he may well get a run out perhaps if Roma have a home game against a bottom-of-the-table team before a Champions League match, he might well get the call and either De Rossi or Strotman would be rested for the Champions League. So we might see a little bit of him, and he's a very talented young player. That was another good move, bringing in Pellegrini, who you know has a long-term future as a, as a top player. So looking for the season, the, the, the punditry, uh, the journalists, they've predicted Roma all over the map, uh, some as high as second um, and some as not even making Champions League. How do you see this Roma team? Uh, where do you think they're going to finish up at the end of the year? 
Well, I think it's very much a transitional year. There have been a few players leave the club and a few have come in. We're also talking about a new coach who's completely changing their style of play. I think Roma have a good chance of challenging for the top three or four slots. I don't see them making a real challenge to Juventus for the title. Um, And it might well be a bigger battle this year because Milan look as though they've improved. They've certainly improved in terms of their playing squad. Inter under Spalletti, I think, will be a lot more of a will be a, a stronger proposition than they were last season. Napoli remains strong, um, but I know I see no reason why Roma can't have realistic expectations to challenge for the Champions League slots, which is the top what is it three four places next season this season. So talking about Spalletti going out, let's go to his team Inter. Um, Inter's had an interesting transfer market. They haven't had you know early on it was a lot about selling selling Perisic. Uh, players like that, and they've done some buying with, uh, you know, in the mid twenties for Skriniar. Um, they've had some good pickups like Borja Valero, uh, but they, you know, they've they've shied away from the big splash spending that they did last summer with, you know, like the disastrous move for Gabigol. How do you rate Inter's transfer window um, after it's closed and after seeing them dispatch Rome at Stadio Olimpico? I think Inter have been very, very, you would say in Italian, furbo. I think they've been very sly and very clever. Um, the Inter fans on the social media perhaps are bemoaning the fact that they didn't spend 60 million on a, an Alexis Sanchez or a, you know, a, a world-class superstar name. But I think they bought very, very sensibly. You mentioned Borca Valero, who's a hell of a good player. They bought Vecino, who's very tidy as well. Icardi looks like he's up for it again this season. Perisic looks as though now he's decided to stay, he's actually going to put his head down and work. They've got a a very solid squad, Inter, and we know that Spalletti is an excellent coach. We know that he's very good at getting players to improve. The the amount of improvement that Nangolan, for example, made as a player under Spalletti is almost unbelievable. He went from being a sort of run-around midfield destroyer to being one of the most complete midfielders in the European game. And that that was almost exclusively to Spalletti's coaching and realising the talent that Nangolan had, which perhaps Nangolan hadn't even realised himself. So I think some of those interplayers who perhaps have been a little bit below par for two or three seasons, you'll suddenly start seeing them up their game a little bit. And uh, I don't know that it, they will challenge Juventus this season because Juventus are just going to be ferocious again. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if Inter finish in the top two or three places. So you talk about Spalletti's impact on players. And one thing that I've had a key eye going on in the season, you talk about him, his uh, uh, impact on Nangolan. But his impact on Dzeko, I thought, was almost as, 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 as impressive, where Dzeko went from a guy who was just a, a, a highlight reel for, for goofball shots into the Capo Canonieri. Well, he goes into a team with a guy who you know has his own history of, of being maybe not the best teammate, maybe not the best leader, but always been able to score goals and, goals and uh, Mauro Icardi. Do you think that Spalletti is going to have that same impact on Mauro Icardi as he had on Edin Dzeko, and we could see Icardi even take it to the next level? Well, it's certainly it's certainly possible. I think um, Icardi and Jekyll are very different types of, of player uh, emo- from an emotional, you know, personality point of view. Jekyll's issue was always that despite being a big man, he wasn't really 
up for it physically. He was always a little bit of a scaredy cat on the field and his confidence was quite fragile. Whereas what Spalletti did with him, and you're right to point it out, was really encourage him to use his size, to use his natural ability, because he is surprisingly good on the ball. And he's really given Dzeko the courage to believe in himself. Icardi doesn't have a problem with self-confidence. If anything, he goes the other way. Um, So it will be interesting to see if perhaps Spalletti just tones him down a little bit. But Icardi already looks like he's in splendid form. He's in great shape physically. He looks to me, I've watched both Inter's matches this season, he looks to me, Icardi, as though he's half a yard faster. Now, it could just be that I haven't watched him play for three months and now we're watching him play again. But he looks to me like he's a little bit quicker out of the blocks, which is bad news for defenders because we're talking about a player that already scores 20 goals every year. Um, this is a player that, you're right, could now step up and score 30 goals a year. All right, well, let's stick, stay in Milan and uh, the biggest story in Italy this summer until uh, you know, the spending spree that, that Milan had, AC Milan had, uh, uh, that was front-page news until PSG spent all that money on one player. Um, with that of, of AC Milan, now they've basically bought, if they wanted to, if we wanted to consider Donnarumma's brother a viable option, a, a whole new starting eleven. Um, my thing with with Milan is is they have all these excellent weapons that have improved. But what do you? How do you feel about Montella being up to the task of being able to handle this team? Well, um, personally, I don't think he's up to the task. I don't think he's a very good coach. Um, I think he's. I think he's a bluffer. I think he. He sort of does okay at the beginning because players respect him because he had a splendid career as a player himself. And he's still young enough that he's close enough in age to the players to kind of relate to them in that way. But I don't think he's a particularly good coach. And and I think once he spends a little bit of time at a club, the players work that out and lose respect for him. I don't think he's the right man to coach Milan um, if we're talking about getting Milan back to the pinnacle of European football. They've spent a lot of money on players. It looks to me like they've just thrown money at the problem. They've got some talent. There's no question about it. They've got plenty of talent in that squad. But we've been in this situation with both Milan and Inter, of course, over the last you know five or six years, where, yes, they have the talent, but they don't have the team. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see if uh, Montella can actually get some of those players on side. Having said that, the one thing I think in Montella's favour was that Bonucci would not have moved from Juventus to Milan unless he felt it was worth it. Now, Bonucci, that was massive. That's a, that's a more important signing than anybody else they've signed. That's Italy's best defender moving from the six times reigning champions and a Champions League contending team to a team that didn't even qualify for, you know, the Champions League last season. That's a massive move. And if Bonucci believes in the Milan to come, then, you know, maybe there's something there. I have a conspiracy theory that, uh, you know, I was a little baffled that he went to to Milan uh, from Juventus, that, uh, you know, Juventus, they had all sorts of money being thrown at them for Bonucci last transfer window or last summer transfer window. And that this year, you know, he wants to go and got sold what I thought for relatively a small amount of money. Do you think the Juventus, you know, he had such 
clout with the organization that they said, hey, you're going to go pick where you want to go. And he said, Milan, is that is that a possible scenario? It's a possible scenario. Um, also, of course, sometimes clubs know something that the buying club doesn't know. There's a, a very famous situation a few years ago now when Liverpool sold Michael Owen um, and everybody was stunned that they'd sold Michael Owen because he was their top scorer and star player. But Liverpool knew that physically he wasn't up to any more than another 18 months or so of top flight football. So they cashed in while they could. And in actual fact, Michael Owen was never the same player again. He had little fits and starts where he played well. But as a top flight player, he was basically done. Who knows? It might be that Bonucci is, is you know, covering some old injury or that the knees aren't quite there. And the Juventus doctors have said, look, six months, eight months, one year, and he's done. And Juventus have gone, OK, fair enough. Let's cash in now. I don't know. Obviously, if you're talking conspiracy theories, there's another one for you. Um, <laughs> I, I, it, it might just be, as Bonucci has said, that he wanted a fresh challenge. You know, he's won the league title six years in a row. What else does he have to prove in Italy? Not very much at all. Um, let's see if he can make a difference for a team that wasn't that good last season and turn them into championship contenders. I don't think he will this season, but they should be there or thereabouts for the European places. And you never know, the Italian Cup. It's a little bit of an, of an odd competition, but Milan might have a good run in that. They might have a good run in the Europa League. They certainly should have a good run in the Europa League. So we'll see. We'll see what his, whether or not his decision is vindicated. Sticking with the Europa League with Milan, I mean, their chances, they're loaded up, and it, I don't really see a, a whole lot of teams that can compare to them in that tournament. Should they expect a deep run? Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, the only thing that might stop them going all the way is that this ridiculous situation where the teams that finish third in the Champions League groups are then given a second lifeline and put into the Europa League. And some of those Champions League groups are powerful groups. So you're going to have really, really strong teams dropping from the Champions League into the Europa League. So that's the only thing that I could really see stopping Milan, unless they shoot themselves in the foot. They've got the squad to go a long way in the Europa League. Well, they smoked a team in the qualifier that, uh, to me, was a, was a team name that looked like a, a Trump tweet, uh, <laughs> FC Kofefe. FC um, and they got uh, they got uh, uh, they got a very very uh, favorable draw. So I think we should at least see them go through the group stage and start to make that run. But you're right, you know if. If Roma can pull it off and they send, you know, Chelsea or Atletico down to the Europa League, I think that, you know, in a situation like that, it'll really be their league for the taking. And as we all know throughout history, Atletico has no problem with winning Europa League titles. Um, so let's no. uh, let's go shoot back up to the to the top of the table. Um, at least last year, um, with uh, the, the six-time reigning champions um, Juventus. You know. I, I've read a lot, which much to my absolute shock, that uh, people are rating that Juventus has come down a notch. Um, yes, they did sell Bonucci, but they you know, they loaded up in last January's transfer window um, with with center backs. Um, they have uh, Benatia, I know who's who's hurt, but then they had some I thought some really great signings in Douglas Costa, uh, Bernadeschi. Um, and the likes. How do you see this? And we also that the X factor of perhaps Buffon's last season, which, if anything, is going to be motivational. It's going to be that. How how do you see Juventus's team this year compared to last year? 
I think they're just as strong this year as they were last year. I think people are forgetting that although Bonucci has gone, what Allegri has done is switch from a three-man defence to a four-man defence. So he's lost his best defender, yes, but he's now changed the defensive system and brought in players that will benefit that system. If you look at their squad and you look at some of the signings, they're not necessarily all marquee signings, but Federico Bernardeschi is arguably the brightest young Italian player of his generation. They bought him. Uh, Rugani, who they brought in um, a couple of years back, bit of an under-the-radar player, is going to become the best central defender Italy have produced probably since Nesta. So we're talking world-class players in the making. Um, and they're just, they rarely make a mistake in the transfer market. They just so rarely put a foot wrong. They, everything they do is very careful and very considered, which was why I was surprised that they lost out on Schick, you know, compliments to Monchi for persuading him to go to Roma instead. But if you look at the Juve squad, it's all players that know how to win. And you can't put a price on that. You look at the second match of the season, they were 2-0 down in 10 minutes. They won 4-2 and it could have been 7-2. There's no panic. There's experience. There's class. They tore Genoa to pieces. They're going to win the league again. And it will be, yeah, it'll be a, a very good team that even gets within six or seven points of them. So do you rate uh, Bernadeschi as feel the burn as their, uh, as their best signing this summer? I think Bernadeschi long term, I don't know how much we'll see him this season because he's got a, a hell of a lot of good players to get in front of um, to get regular first team football. But I think he's a very gifted player. Um, so, yeah, he could even end up being their best signing long term. Um, they've certainly brought in a couple of players. Matuidi from, from uh, Paris Saint-Germain is a very underrated player. Very, very tidy very experienced, knows what it takes to win. You know, you put him alongside the likes of Pjanic and, and Kedira and Chiellini and Buffon. These are, these are not guys who are going to make mistakes at high-pressure moments of the season. It's, they're just not. Well, let's now go to what a lot of people in Europe are, or even in the States are saying that's going to be Juventus's biggest title contenders, that in Napoli. And Napoli, you know, under this uh, this Sarri offense, um, and that is S A R R I, not S O R R Y, um, and, and 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 tactics. It looks like their their main goal was to really just hold on to uh, the players that they had. And I would argue that their biggest signing was yesterday was with Bobby English, Roberto Inglese, but he's not even going to be playing there this year. Um, you know, do you feel that Napoli should have done more in the transfer window once they got the Champions League money, or do you think that they're fine just staying the way they are? I, I would have liked to have seen them make one or two make one or two signings, um, particularly as they did let a few um, consistent squad players go. Um, it would have been nice to see them make one or two, bring one or two new players in. But they do have a very fine squad. There's no question about it. They were um, a little unfortunate, I thought, last season. They they had a number of games where they played well but drew or lost to last-minute winners or, you know, had big decisions go against them. They, they, they really were a good side last season, and Sari's done an excellent job. And if you can keep those the uh, the attackers fit, if you can keep Mertens and Insigne and Hamsik, and if you can keep um, Milik 
uh, fit, then um, they could they could make a strong challenge again. They really could. So going along with this squad, just off the cuff before we get in the Italian national team stuff um, at the end of the pod, uh, Lorenzo Insigne, is, is he the best uh, Italian-grown player at the moment? Oh, goodness me, that's a, a good question. Um, in, a, in, in going forward, yes, he probably is. Certainly on form, he was, he was arguably the best attacking Italian player last season. I don't think he's as great a player in terms of his standing in the world game as a Bonucci um, or as Buffon, but I, I certainly think he was Italy's brightest attacking player. The trouble is that um, Napoli play to his strengths, which the national team aren't necessarily always prepared to do because um, they have other priorities and other tactics and other formations, and he's a little bit of a luxury player. But um, if he keeps playing the way he, d- he did last season, then who knows? He could even take another step up. He's still only 26. I mean, we're not talking about a guy that's on the downward spiral. He, in theory, still has another three or four years of, of top flight football left in him, at, you know, at very high levels. I'd like to see him uh, maybe make the next step up and, and become a, a player of genuine international standing. So Napoli, going forward, what are their chances of being able to topple Juventus this year? I, th- I still think they're the team that has the best chance of toppling Juventus. Um, I don't think they'll do it, but I expect Napoli to, to push them hardest. I just wonder if the fact that they didn't make enough signings might hurt them over the course of a long season, plus you throw in Champions League. You know, Juventus could afford for, let's say, Mandzukic, or Kedira to get injured, and they can replace them with like players. Whereas for Napoli, if Hamsik gets injured, or if Insigne gets injured, or Mertens gets injured, you feel that they would miss that. They would miss those players a little bit more. Um, so over the course of a long, tough season, I still think Juventus have got the strength in depth to hold them off. But I would expect Napoli to have another very strong go at it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that they're putting a little bit too much pressure on a guy like Drace Mertens to have to repeat one of the uh, more impressive seasons we've seen in the Serie A in the last few years. Mm. All right, let's slide down to the bottom of the table anymore. Fiorentina. Fiorentina, I mean, they got Pioli, who apparently doesn't take a coaching job unless it's an absolute nightmare. Um, (laughs) And, you know, they get their midfield plundered. They lose Bernadeschi. uh, And, you know, they try and and, uh, uh, make a comeback with, I thought, a great signing in Simeone. And then right at the transfer window, they picked up, at the end of the transfer window, they pick up a little bit more firepower in uh, who we like to call HDCT, Henry David Cyril Thoreau on the podcast um you know is this is this team a team that's destined to go down in flames how, how worried should Fiorentina fans be I don't think they should be worried um they've had a they've had a tough start to the season if you look at their fixture list uh, it was Inter away and then Sampdoria at home okay you would probably have expected them to win that but Sampdoria have uh, started the season like wildfire they really have kicked off well um I think Fiorentina have got too much class and Pioli's an experienced coach who's been around the block. I don't think they're going to challenge for European places, but I, I would I'd be very surprised if they don't comfortably finish in the top half of the table, 7th, 8th, ninth. That should easily be within their reach, even having had, as you say, the midfield plundered. I still expect them to finish top half. 
So let's go to our last two, uh, the last two seasons, Cinderella, Sassuolo, and Atalanta. They're kind of in a bit of a similar situation. Um, it, it, uh, Atalanta lost a couple key players, but they have a couple good signings coming in. Sassuolo, I mean, they, they lost their coach and, uh, and a couple of their best players, Saroma, but um, managed to hold on to uh, Berardi and picked up who we on the podcast like to call El Gato Sporco, the Dirty Rooster, um, Diego Falcinelli. So we have these two teams, um, Atalanta playing in Europe. How do, how do you compare these, these two teams? Are, are, are they at this point pretty similar after having lost key pieces, or are we still looking at Atalanta pretty far superior to Sassuolo? I would still expect Atalanta to finish ahead of Sassuolo. Um, Atalanta have lost both matches, but look at their fixture list. Roma yeah. at home. And let's be honest, even as a Roma fan, Atalanta at least deserved a draw out of that match. Mm-hmm. And then their next fixture was Napoli away. So not there's not many teams that would have picked up six points from those two games. So it's not necessarily a surprise that they, uh, they've started the season with zero points. But you look at their squad... They did lose a couple of key players. That's that's certainly fair. Um, will be will be missed. Conti, of course, going to Milan and Kessie going to Milan as well. And they'd also lost Gagliardini in the January transfer window to Inter. But they've made a couple of smart signings. I particularly like Ilicic, who they brought in from Fiorentina, who's a very clever player. Um, Cristante's useful as well from Benfica. The only they Brian. Have- the only Brian in the Serie A. <laughs> yeah, Brian, only Brian left. Um, and they showed enough against both Roma and Napoli, in fact, although they lost 3-1 in, Na- in Naples and they lost 1-0 to Roma. They showed, for me, they showed enough in both games to indicate that, like Fiorentina, they should be top half of the table. I think they'd be doing remarkably well to repeat the heroics of last season, especially when you consider they'll also have Europa League fixtures to contend with. But again, I don't expect them to struggle. I don't expect them to be in the bottom half. Uh, Sassuolo might struggle a bit more. Um, you're right, they kept Berardi, which was big, but they've lost their coach. And I don't know. I just, from what I've seen of their their first couple of performances, um, they seem to have lost a little bit of self-belief and a little bit of confidence. And um, it, it might just be a, a tough season for them. So Atalanta in Europa... I, I mean, I understand that Europa League coefficient draw, they, you know, they, they get pot three, they have the toughest draw out of any of the Italian teams. Um, but, you know, it, it bothers me a little bit that, you know, a team like Milan, who had to do a play-in, gets the play-in, goes into pot one, gets a favorable draw, and Atalanta, um, you know, they, they get put in pot three, and it's, it's going to be an absolute fight for them to get, uh, you know, out of the group stages. Um, do you do you feel that 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 rule setup is uh, uh, needs to be changed, or do you think that it does more good than harm protecting small clubs from selling all their players when they come into international competitions? Um, well, I'm very cynical about UEFA and FIFA. I think the rule it, it's basically weighted in favour of big clubs, and um, and I think it's a terrible rule. I agree with you entirely. If Milan are a big club, there's no question. But if they came, had to come through a playoff, then they don't deserve to go in pot one. Um, I'd like to see, I, I mean, the Champions League itself, you know, we've got countries with three or four teams in the Champions League. It's supposed to be for champions. But anyway, 
soapbox rant over. I think Milan were very fortunate to be put in pot one, and I think Atalanta were unfortunate to be put in pot three, but that's the way that UEFA set it up. It is so that if Milan or Benfica or Bayern Munich or Real Madrid have a bad season and end up in the Europa League, they will still get favourable treatment. That's exactly why it's set up like that. Yeah, I think, th- I'm, first of all, you say that my, my conspiracy theory is not totally outlandish, and two, you, you agree with the same rant. I think that Atalanta proved it on the field last year, and Milan backed into the Europa League only because Inter and Fiorentina were fighting desperately to not get that spot. Um, mm. I, think, I think that they should have a more favorable draw. Um, so I have three more questions for you. We're going to keep in the north and go to Genoa. Uh, you know, with the te- the team of the, with the team, the city's name Genoa. Uh, you know, they they've they've kind of they had a rough season last year and not a great transfer window to speak of. But on the other hand, I find Sampdoria a little bit more interesting because they lost the babyface killer Luis Muriel to Spain. They lost Schick to Roma, um, but they did their best to replace him. I think uh, Caprari is a good signing to replace uh, uh, Luis Muriel and him and, and G- the giggity goal scorer Quags, Quariella have played well together. And then they bring in Duvan Zapata, who I thought was very good for Udinese last year. And they mm-hmm. bring in um, uh, Strinic to, to uh, help with that back line. How, you know, rate Sampdoria's offseason and compare these two teams as to how you think they're going to finish in the table. Well, I think I agree with you. I think Sampdoria have have done solid work over the close season. It was inevitable, of course, that they were going to lose Schick. He showed us enough last season to demonstrate that, as I've mentioned already, he could become a very, very special player. Still young, still improving and still with uh, plenty to do, but nonetheless, clearly a a brilliant talent. So they were never going to be able to hold on to him. They've brought in a couple of experienced players. As you said, Strinic, 30 years of age. He'll be a useful acquisition. Zapata, you know, not the world's greatest centre forward, but he'll do a solid job and probably chip in with, you know, eight to ten goals, a couple of assists, leads the line quite well. Qualiarella will still chip in with a few goals. Um, They're tidy enough in midfield. Um, Mid-table probably is where they're realistically going to finish, but I don't think there's any shame in that. I don't think there's any uh, anything to have any regrets about. I think that's they understand as a club that that's what they're aiming for. It's to avoid the relegation. And if they have a good enough season to maybe be on the fringes of the Europa League, then well done. But but I think their, their ambition was to sort of make themselves a safe Serie A team. And I think they've done enough to... They will do enough to, to show that they've done that. Um, Genoa, well, Genoa are, are interesting. I mean, as you say, they, they weren't great last season. Um, it was a, a tough campaign for them. They only finished, I think, three or four points above the relegation zone. It was a, a long and hard season. But they do have um, some smart players. And uh, I think the fans are hoping that they'll be mid-table. Obviously, I you know, every small club dreams of doing an Atalanta or a Sassuolo and maybe one club will do it. It doesn't happen every season, but it does happen often enough that fans continue to dream. But um, I, Genoa might struggle a bit more. I don't know that they've done quite enough in the transfer window to um, to stave off threats of being a bottom half of the table team. So it looks like Der- uh, Derby della Laterna, you're, you're going with Sampdoria on this. They won both of them last year, didn't they? 
I first think time they, in forever? Yeah. yeah. I think they did. I mean, derby matches are always difficult to predict, but I, I would be very, I, I would expect Sampdoria to finish comfortably ahead of Genoa. So let's go down to the bottom of the table, and we have a couple of teams coming up. Um, you know, Ellis has had a, had a few signings. Uh, Spall, uh, probably their biggest signing, I think, was getting Boriello. He just must have gotten tired. He must. He just must have run through all the the men, women in uh, in the island of Cagliari and is looking for a, a new <laughs> off the field challenge. Um, and uh, Benevento, but I would like to lump Crotone in there because Crotone. You know, they, 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 they pulled off a miracle last year, which I, I think they have to be a, a, an odds-on favorite to go down. Um, yeah. Out of these teams, um, we haven't seen a lot of players leave, and we've seen p- people come in. Who do you think out of these, out of these teams um, has had the most impressive transfer window to you? Well, I think Spal, um, just on the basis that they've brought in Borriello, because Borriello, love him or loathe him, is a proven Serie A goal scorer. Um, he is somebody that knows exactly where the back of the net is. He's someone that leads the line very well. And he's somebody that gives you a little bit of oomph going forward. And I think that was a very clever piece of business. I mean, loyalty, what's loyalty if you're Borriello? Um but, but he is a good player. You know, he probably hasn't made of his career what he should have done with the talent he has, but he remains a very competent centre-forward, and I think Spal have done well. I don't know whether it will be enough to save them from relegation. They've made a promising start by getting four points, of course, um, but uh, they've got some tough games coming up. You know, they've got Inter away next, and they've also got to play, play Milan and Napoli in their next three or four matches, so that's where we will uh, we'll see how good they are. Um, Benevento are going to struggle and uh, Crotone as you said you know mezzo miracolo to stay up last season and um, and they'll be among the favorites to go down this season Cagliari stayed up last season they might struggle this season uh, Verona of course having come up you know traditionally the teams that come up struggle and stay in the bottom half of the table and then when you are in the bottom half of the table quite often it only takes two or three bad performances and suddenly you're sucked right down into the mist, into the into the midst of the relegation fight, and uh, it can be hard to escape. So, Pavoletti, you think that's a good signing for Calgary as a replacement for Borriello? I mean, twelve no. million dollars—the the biggest transfer when transfer signing in their history for Pavoletti. Yeah. yeah, I just don't think he's anywhere near as good a player. I mean. I could be proved wrong. He could end up hitting 15 goals this season. But what Borriello gives you is the ability to lead the line. Pavoletti doesn't give you that. He does give you a couple of goals, but he can't lead the line the way that Borriello does. He can't hold the ball up. He can't control the ball as well. He doesn't have a a, a trick up his sleeve the way that Borriello does. Um, And he's a heavy scorer, Pavoletti, in the lower leagues, but he's never quite, to me, he's never quite looked the part um, in the top flight. He had one really good season for Genoa where he managed 14 goals, but but most of them were sort of close range, bundling them over the line goals. I, and and he'd never, he's never looked likely to repeat that season. So I think, I think they'll struggle a little bit more Cagliari this season. Last niche Italian striker question before we, we move to uh, one last question on, on the, uh, on the national team. Um, Tumignello from Roma, he's just picked up the loan to Crotone, looks to uh, Crotone desperately after they struck out with Cutrone to you know, get their next Diego Falcinelli. What do you think uh, uh, his chances are um, at Crotone this year? 
Well, he's a he's a young player that the Roma the Roma club are actually quite excited about. He's um, I mean he's just eighteen. He's got a little bit of dash about him, a little bit of the sort of naughty confidence that you want a young player to have. You 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 don't want them to believe that they're the greatest thing in the world because then they never want to learn. Um, but you do want them to to have a, a certain belief in themselves. And 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 the Roma staff I've spoken to say that this kid's got it. Um, I mean, he made his debut back in the 19, in the 2015-16 season in the Roma first team in a Serie A match. You know, when he was we're talking when he was 16 years of age. Um, he's a regular for the Italy under 19 side. He scores goals for them. Um, it could be a very interesting season. It could, you know, he could chip in with five or six goals and 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 put himself in the shop window and get himself a, you know, obviously the idea is a move back to Rome. And Rome have loaned him out with the uh, idea of giving him some first team experience, which he's presumably not going to get too much of in the capital. But yeah, let's let's hope. I mean, obviously, Italian football, world football is full of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of brilliant 18 year olds who never amount to very much at all. But um, he certainly has ability and he certainly is a good finisher. So uh, let's hope for Roma's sake that he he continues to develop. Okay, Doug. I lied. We're not. We can't end the Syria on Tumi on Tumi goal. Um, I, the, at the end of the season, Il Gallo Belotti is he uh, is he a hundred million dollar sign for somebody, or does he come back down to earth? I think he's uh, a splendid centre forward. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he goes somewhere at the end of the season for you know silly money, 80, 80 90 million, Absolutely, assuming he gets somewhere close to the amount of goals he scored last time. Um, and he's already started this season in good form. He scored an absolutely magnificent goal at the weekend um, against Sassuolo, a sort of bicycle kick. And he's already scored a couple in the Italian Cup. So um, he's flying. I think uh, he's got a big, big future. Still only 23 years of age, 26 goals last season. Yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he gets another 18, 20, 22 goals this season and ends up going to a Chelsea or a you know, a Real Madrid or a Bayern Munich or somebody, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, now we're going to go to the Italian national team. Tough challenge against Spain. First question is, in North America, huge following for uh, Giovinco in the States. Are you surprised that Ventura has left him off the squad? No, not at all surprised. Um, I think Giovinco must have known when he moved to the States that his Italian international career was probably over. Um it was slightly different for it's slightly different if you're an established player in the national team and then you move to the states or you move to china which has obviously become the other trendy place to move if you're uh, after the money but um jovinko was never established as a full italian international he was kind of occasionally called into the squad if he had a good run of form and and i think he must have known he moves to the states his chances of being called into the national team were were going to be small and uh, and so it's proved. And I don't blame I don't blame um, the coach for not calling him up. I I, I don't blame him. I, I understand that he's a gifted player, but I think if you want to be taken seriously while you're in the peak of your career, you need to be challenging yourself at the highest level of the games and at the highest level of the game. And 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 there were options for him in European football that would have kept him under the coach's eye. That would have been more of a challenge for him. And, and he knew that and um, and he made that choice. I, it's a shame because I always like to see skillful players given a chance. And he is undoubtedly a marvellous, skillful player. 
But I don't think there can be any surprise that he hasn't been called into the squad, no. Last question. Uh, the Italian national team coming up, you look at the squad, who do you see as surprises that made the call up and who do you see as surprises that got left off? Well, it's... Um, I don't think there can be too many surprises with the starting eleven. Um, it was perhaps a little bit of a surprise that Pellegrini was, was called into the squad, um, uh, obviously having just made the transfer to Roma. But I would imagine the starting 11, there's not going to be any surprises at all. We're looking at the classic 4-4-2 and, and Buffon and Chiellini and Barzali and Bonucci and the guys. Although Chiellini, I'm just reading in the papers this morning, um, has a, a calf injury uh, and might miss the match. Um so we'll have to keep our eyes on that. I just a bit of a whisper in one of the Italian newspapers this morning. Um, but didn't didn't Montalivo get called up? That one that one shocked me. Well, it's <laughs> but he has experience, and I think I think um, the I think the coach is is really puts a lot of faith in experienced players, and and really counts on experienced players doing a job under pressure and there's no question that traveling to Spain and needing to get a positive result is is a lot of pressure um, so it will be uh, very interesting to see Montolivo is also a player that has a lot of respect amongst the other players and sometimes he's a little bit of a, a target for people to bash on social media but um, the other Italian players have a lot of respect for him and have a lot of respect for what he can do and what he brings to a squad. So, uh, you know, it's just one of those slightly confusing things that, you know, national teams sometimes provide them. You know, a coach seems to be un unduly loyal to a player that the fans have long since given up on. And I think Montalivo maybe is one of those. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Doug, well, I know you got to run, but I, I appreciate your time. Uh, absolutely fantastic insight for our listeners in the United States from somebody in the know who's reading the, uh, the newspaper in Rome in Italian. Um, loved all the insight. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Curve Americans out there, be sure to uh, check us out on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And as always, you can find our, uh, our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and the website ASROMA360. As I always like to say, if you are going to go on and listen to our podcast, please feel free to rate and comment, subscribe on in iTunes, uh, and share with your friends. Doug, thanks a lot. It's been, an, it's been a blast. Um, uh, enjoy the, enjoy the, uh, the beautiful day that's emerged from the storm. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm away. I'm heading away for the weekend. There's no Roma match this weekend, so we're taking advantage and getting away for the weekend. So I'll uh, I'll catch up with you soon, no doubt, my friend. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the season. All right. Thanks a lot, Doug. <laughs>